InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Is there a generation gap where you work? It's happening at workplaces nationwide. But how are they getting along? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here with the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is industrial and organizational psychologist Dr. Lori Lasavita, and she's an expert on this generational gap in the workplace and how to close it. Dr. Lasavita, welcome to InfoTrack. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So tell us, what can happen when different generations come together in the same workplace? You know, it's really interesting. Like we often say, multi-generational workplaces can really bring out the best and the worst of the organization and the employees that are in them because we have to think about each generation as actually having different characteristics, different leadership styles and motivators and things that engage them. One example that I like to use is millennials who are now the single largest segment in the workforce. Some of the characteristics that we can generalize to that particular generation is that they're very flexible and mobile and they meet the needs of the moment, but they're also very quick and reliant on technology. So we often find that they lack some of the emotional intelligence or personal interactive skills, such as the ability to build teams as well as deal with difficult people. So the positive things of each generation, characteristics-wise, we can either look at that as being a positive or a negative if, in fact, there's no balance between the generations because each of the differences can create challenges, including miscommunication and conflict, and that really can influence a result or a lack of the ability to build strong, cohesive teams that we find are so relevant and necessary in today's workforce. Do you think this is any greater of an issue today than it was two or three generations ago? I think it is because now we currently have four generations that are working in the workplace together. We've never had that happen before. And so, you know, that's why we see this as such a relevant topic is because how does a leader and a manager in the workplace bring together those different generational differences so they can, again, form those cohesive, high-performance teams? You said this is the first time that we've ever had four generations in the workplace. Can you explain that? Because it seems like wouldn't it just be the same general pool of ages there permanently? Yes, but we have people that are working longer. Years ago, people would retire at retirement age or maybe even earlier than the actual retirement age. And now we see people in the workplace that are there much after retirement age, and they continue to work, which I think personally is a great thing. I think that staying active, doing something that you love, something that keeps your mind nimble and and that you're able to feel like you have meaning in your life and contribute, I think that's essential to anybody's um, ability to really feel good and feel like they're really producing and productive in our society. And so what we see now is that we have a lot of older people that are still in the workplace, and then we see the younger people working at much younger ages than we've seen in the past. That culmination of pulling all of those elements together is really what's created the issue of having four different generations in the workplace. So you talk about traditionalists, and those are usually born between 1925, and then they go through 1945, and your baby boomers then are born 1946 to 64, and then you've got your Gen Xers who go from 65 to 1980, and then you've got your millennials who are born 1981 and after. And then we have the Gen Z, or the Nexters, who are coming up. They're born after 2000, and they are not in the workplace yet, but depending upon how things go, we'll see that generation also come into its own. You mentioned the millennials. Which group does have the greatest difficulty with this generational gap? My guess would have been the senior workers for a multitude of reasons. I think everybody in their own way has some difficulty, but what I mean by difficulty is that there's a lot of lack of cohesion between the characteristics. 
for instance, we talk about, I think, the traditionalists or the baby boomers. So when you look at a traditionalist, you'll find that some of their characteristics are that they're team players and they have a high respect for authority and, you know, they respond very well to directive leadership and seniority and age is essential to them. And then when you look at the millennial in comparison, as I said earlier, they like to work in a flexible environment. They don't really respond well to directive leadership. They are very much involved in multitasking and in being able to kind of form their own work schedule. So then in comparison to them, we have the baby boomers, and they, being different, they have more of a team orientation, and they're interested in personal growth, and they're, but they're extremely usually sensitive to feedback. So you take all of these different characteristics that we're talking about, and you put them all together on one team. How do you actually work with that team to make it a cohesive team? That's the question that we deal with as IO psychologists in the workplace. And one of the things that you focus on in particular is something called emotional intelligence. Can you just explain what that is? Yes, absolutely. If you think about it, we're born with our thinking potential that we measure as IQ or general intelligence. And that's pretty much set throughout our lifetime with very little variance. The good news is that emotional intelligence, or EI, is something that can be enhanced and developed. So EI is really a measure of our ability to understand our own emotions and their effects as well as those of other people. In addition to being able to really read the current in the environment, which then gives us the tools across generations to understand our emotions and those of others to more effectively address and engage each other. A good example of that, that I see something that will resonate probably with all of us and, and something I think I've probably experienced myself. You know, we've all wanted to go to our boss and ask for a raise or a promotion. And so you kind of think about in your mind how you want to address that, what you're going to say to your boss kind of try to anticipate how his reaction to you is going to be. So you go in to see your boss the next day, or and he or she begins the conversation by saying how about the quarter is, about how return on investment is low, really worried about having to act upon doing layoffs later on in the year, and just very concerned about the financial status of the organization. So if you're not reading that cue and you're paying too much attention to what you want to say rather than what that individual is saying to you and that current, what we call the emotional current in the room, you're probably going to ask for that raise in a very inopportune time and more than likely you're going to have a negative outcome. And so somebody that's really aware of what's going on around them and not being so primarily focused on themselves and their own intent someone that would have a strong degree of emotional intelligence. And so that's, again, what we do as industrial organizational psychologists. We help employees and organizations reach their full potential by being able to understand emotions of what drives them as well as the emotions of others. Our guest on InfoTrack is industrial and organizational psychologist Dr. Lori LaCivita, and we're discussing the generation gap in today's workplace and how to close that generation gap and maybe even to take advantage of it. Dr. LaCivita, I understand in some cases hiring managers actually are placing a pretty strong emphasis on emotional intelligence in the hiring process. What advice can you offer to a potential job applicant who may be a little concerned about that? There's categories of EI. So we have the overall overarching score, the overarching level of emotional intelligence that each individual has. But there's really five distinct categories that include self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. So all of those five elements come together that allow us to assess our environment, again, and our end-human interaction. So the advice that I would give individuals, as we said earlier, emotional intelligence is something that can be enhanced and developed. And so we use tools to actually help people to become able to hone their skill of empathy 
or hone their skill of self-regulation. But I think one of the key ones is self-awareness, to really know what's going on inside of you and what really spurs you forward to act and react the way that you do in any given situation. And so by becoming more self-aware, by being able to understand what are your trigger points, what are the things that you're reacting to, I think we've seen this happen a lot when we have a conversation with somebody and it seems like they overreact to the context of the situation. Is this emotional intelligence, is it basically the same thing as what we used to call someone being a people person, just someone who can empathize with other people? It is. I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. It's the ability to also manage your emotions. And so being a people person is great, but that self-awareness component is important also because I always say if you have a pitcher of water and you keep pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out by being a people person and being aware of other people's concerns and needs, and yet you don't take anything back in for yourself, then what happens is that picture becomes empty. So you don't have anything to offer yourself and you don't really eventually have anything to offer other people. And so while empathy is a great characteristic to have, especially in regard to emotional intelligence, that empathy has to be modified by also social skills and self-regulation so that you're not too high on one level and then that causes you to be low in other areas. So it's a balance between those five categories that we talked about. Industrial and organizational psychologist, Dr. Lori Lasavita. Is there a website where listeners can learn more? Absolutely. WaldenU.edu. And then we also have WaldenU.edu slash EI, which will give additional information about the five categories and skills of emotional intelligence and ways to develop those skills. Well, thank you again for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you so much. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.